Heavenly Father, we come before you and we want to recognize those who give us life here on this earth, the ones who nurture us, the ones who take care of our problems and give us counsel and raise us to be people that you are pleased with. We ask that you would bless them, fill their hearts full of joy. And Father, for those mothers who have had children that just haven't turned out the way that they think they should, Uh, Father, we know that you are gracious and you are kind, and I pray that you administer to those mothers as well. And for the children who don't have mothers, that they have gone on to be with you or passed from this life, we ask that you would bless them and fill them full of joy as well. For those who do have mothers that are still alive and they still communicate with them. So, Father, we thank you for the blessing, those which you have made, the mothers in our lives. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. Okay, go ahead and be seated. What we're going to do first off is I was going to read the bulletin, but I'm not going to read the bulletin. If you would like the bulletin, it is online at cclakeside.com, correct, Daryl? cclakeside.com, it is in there. I encourage you to go there. Yes? Did you come back healthy this time? Yeah, I did. Uh, I'll explain all about that. But we're going to watch a video. What is it, 7 to 10 minutes, something like that? Eight minutes. And so uh, we're going to lower the lights, and that's going to come on, and then I'll come on back up, and we'll explain a little bit more about the trip. Okay, we're going to pray, and the youth are going to be dismissed. And so if the youth want to get up and go ahead and go with Tom over there, and let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunities that you provide for us as a church, and we ask that you would help us to be faithful in carrying out your mission in this world. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to be concentrated and focused, not on the things of this life, but on the kingdom that is to come. For we understand our life is short, we all end up dying, but there is hope for us at the end. And may you use us to be a part of that and bringing it to the world, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the trip, the trip was probably the hardest trip, but the greatest trip uh, we've ever done. There are certainly challenges in going into Africa and getting ready for that, and I have a whole list of them here I'm going to go through. I would outline here. Okay, where we went. We went to the country of Uganda. It is right on the equator in the continent of Africa. We flew from San Diego to Georgia, from Georgia to Amsterdam. From Amsterdam, our flight was delayed. In Georgia, what happened, and when you're on a trip, there are always going to be problems. There's going to be problems on the trip, and there's going to be problems at home. It just depends on how severe the problems are. And for those of you who don't know it or realize it or haven't been taught about it, there's this thing called spiritual warfare. There's a whole world around us that is spiritual in nature that you cannot grab hold of. You cannot touch it. You cannot see it. You cannot perceive it. It has been talked about in Scripture. Like, for instance, when the chariots uh, showed up on the hill where the prophet, I believe it was Elijah or Elisha, uh, he had a servant that was up there. And they were worried that the enemies were going to come and attack them and kill them. And the prophet said, well, greater are those who are for us than those who are against us. And he said, Lord, open his eyes. And opened his eyes and could see all the chariots up on the hill that were spiritual in nature that were actually part of the battle that was going on. And so there is a spiritual world. If you could see the spiritual world at this point, you'd probably see a few angels uh, in here, at least some of you need more than one, I'm sure, but there are, there's a whole spiritual realm, and we're part of that, having the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so the enemy, which is Satan, and he is not an epic figure, he is a real individual that's after our demise. And so he would oppose us in this, and this is spiritual warfare, and that's why everybody prays that everything goes well on the trip. And so we were in Georgia And while we were in Georgia, the plane had some kind of mechanical problem. And so they decided to take our plane away and put it off to the side in a hangar or something like that. I don't know where they put it. 
And then there was a computer delay for us boarding. And then once we got boarded, they said, well, you know, once they move the plane, they forgot to take the food out. And so we have to wait for them to get the food back in. Well, where they put the plane, the food service people were not allowed to go. So they had to take the plane and back the plane out. Then they had to get the food service people in there in between to get the food off and put it on our plane. It took about two and a half hours. And so we're sitting on the plane for two and a half hours. And we knew we were going to miss our next flight. And so we missed our next flight. And then we had to stay in the airport and just go through a bunch of things. And we ended up getting down to Entebbe five o'clock the next day where we were supposed to arrive the previous day at 10 p.m. So we had no sleep. And I didn't sleep the whole way over. And it, it's a 24-hour trip. And then when we got to Entebbe at five o'clock, I think I got two hours of sleep. And then we drove for about, I don't know, eight or 10 hours. And so by the time we got to the first place, it had been about 52 hours with only two hours of sleep. And, you know, you're just feeling ready to go. And uh, when we got there, we also had to divide the meds. And you saw that in one of the first pictures where we take the medications, we set them to the side, and we put them in individual, uh, not servings, but um, doses. And we hand those out and when we have the medical clinics. And so that's where we went and how we got there. Now, once we got there, we, and the places we went inside Uganda, we landed in Entebbe. Remember the movie Raid on Entebbe? Uh, for those of you who are older, the Israel went in there. Well, that's the airport that we went to. From Entebbe, we stayed less than five miles away, and it was a wonderful hotel. It had a shower. It had a bed. We had breakfast. There was Wi-Fi. There was electricity. It was just fantastic. And so from there, we left, and we went up to a place called Cobwin. Now, Cobwin, if you saw it on there, it was the house with the van in front of it, and it did not have electricity, and it did not have running water. Well, actually, it did, but it was about one gallon per minute, and you could shower. Now, the showers. The shower in this place was in the bathrooms where you, you you have the toilet that's there you also have a sink and then there's a drain in the corner of the room right next to the toilet and they did have a hose um, not a hose a sink um, faucet they had one there and you could turn it on it's about one gallon per minute and you could put that over your head and then you could soap up and then you could try to rinse off of that and all of that goes down into the drain and out well it wasn't working so well so outside of this house was a three-walled structure about this tall and you could go in there and you'd get the water that's pumped out of a well and you put it in what we know as a five-gallon container. It looks like a five-gallon yellow gas can. And you take that water and you pour it in a little blue bucket. Now, you saw the picture of the toilet in the bathroom. There was a blue bucket, there was a round plastic pail, and there was a yellow container of water down to the side. Those yellow containers you pour in the blue bucket... And then you take that and you dip it on your head and then you wash your head and your face and then you pour a little over your body and it's cold water and go, <laughs> and you're pouring it over your head, right? You get that done. And then you got to soap up your body and this is all outside. And this is in the morning. I chose to take one in the morning because you're kind of hot all night. And then you're pouring that over your body and you're just going, oh, 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 and it wakes you right up. You know, you're ready to go for the next day. Well, that's the kind of bathing we had for the next Eight, nine days was that. And so uh, it, it was a challenge. No electricity, no running water. We did have a place to stay, had mosquito nets, and I think the mosquito was the national bird over there. It is so big. <laughs> and, you know, we'd, you'd, look for, you'd stay up at night just looking in your net, you know, where are the mosquitoes, because you can get malaria. And if you saw one of the pictures in there, they were having malaria test kits. They were giving them to the little children. We did have people come through there with malaria. We gave them malaria medicine uh, to relieve some of the suffering. But from Cobwin, we went up to Cotito. Cotito, um, the Maasai tribe, you guys know what the Maasai tribe looks like. They have the red blanket, and they have the long spears, and they hop up and down, you know, and they're really tall. Well, part of that uh, tribe is in Cotito. And they were green. You saw a lot of the green that was there. You saw the couple that was sitting down. They, don't, they didn't know each other, 
But, you know, they're, and they're tall. And then you saw the guy with the soccer shirt on, said Emirates. His, his name is David. I'm in contact with him. He is the son of the third wife of the chief of the clan. And these guys are all warriors. And he stood up and he was like, and I go, how you doing, brother? And he, I mean, he was up there and not in brother in the slang sense, bro. Hey, how you doing, bro? You know, it, it was, he's a brother in Christ. And, and so, uh, I got to know him. He was my translator for a while and there's more of a story to him, but from Cotito, we were there, uh, three total nights and, uh, you know, talk about living that I, I got to explain the bathroom there. Okay. So you have this toilet. And the toilet goes up to a tank, but there's no water in the tank. And so you have the bucket of water that's there. And so when you would get up in the morning and you would pour the water in the bucket and you'd take your shower, but you'd stand in the pan. You stand in the pan so that the water falls down, the soapy water and everything goes into the pan. You use that water to flush the toilet. And, and so, you know, and you don't want to use up that water because that's the water you have for the day to flush the toilet while you're there because, you know, you only have so much water and so much time. When you wake up in the morning, you want a little bit of water and you have to be careful not to use that water to brush your teeth or do anything else with. And then when you pour it, if you go brush your teeth over at the sink, well, you, you brush your teeth and you, you know, you expectorate in the sink and then you get some water and you pour it in the sink, but the sink doesn't go anywhere except down on the floor. And then it just runs across the floor and you go, wow, that's nice. You know, and, and then there, the lights, there were no lights there except at night they did have some solar and so the, they would kick some light one light bulb in your room would come on at night and then we had to get up five five thirty six and they would shut off the light at five thirty which is still dark you know and so it's a good thing i brought some extra flashlights that were there you could set them up around the room and then in the room if you saw the picture on and by the way these pictures are on facebook and they will be on the website uh you can look at it there youtube video and some of the pictures that are on Facebook, you can tap on them and you can expand them and you can see some detail in there of what's going on. And so uh, in my room, right above my head was a hornet's nest and in the top of the room, there were open block where insects could come in and out. And, you know, so bugs were our friend. If you saw the picture on the website of the bug that decided to make it my bed bug buddy you know he was in there it was a pretty big beetle you know I, I just i wanted to make sure nothing was in my bed so i threw back the sheets and there he is he's just kind of crawling in there and so i you know i shoved him away and he flew and i smacked him and he fell down and i don't know where he went after that and so and that was down in kamuli now kamuli you go into the town and you go are we staying in this town this is the town we're staying in and it got to this hotel and you know it has these big iron gates and the iron gates open up and you drive in. And once we got in, there was a shower after nine days and water, hot water was coming out. And you go, thank you, Lord, for nice stuff, you know. And it was kind of nice being there and they actually had a meal. And But then we went out to, to minister to the people. You saw that open air place where all the people were sitting and they're facing this way in the picture. The entire floor was dirt and it was muddy. We're walking around in the mud and all those kids that were there and the kids wanted to play, you know, and, and I did that slap game where you put your hands up like that and you do that and they discovered a new game and it was just like, oh, it's so exciting and they didn't know if they wanted to try or not and we're doing all kinds of magic tricks, you know, going, whoa, like that, you know, and their eyes would open wide and I would hide things, you know, I'd put it in my hand like that and I'd open it up and then it wouldn't be there and go, and I'd get it from their ear and they go, oh, they were just in awe. All these little kids doing all these things with them. And that little girl at the end in the pink and black dress, she was a Klingon. She came up, she'd grab my leg and I'd grab her arms and she'd jump up and down and she would just laugh and have a great time. And so, you know, all that was good. But the way that they live there, it, it's just incredible. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. Uh, who went and what were their roles? <coughs> Excuse me. Pastor Drew McIntyre, missions pastor up at Calvary Chapel Alpine, used to be the senior pastor up there. Now Mark, his son, is the senior pastor. He's the one that goes to all these different countries. He gets about 200,000 miles a year on Delta. And because of that, there's one perk that we get to enjoy. If we're in the United States and he has a Delta Fly Club, Club membership, we get to go in with him uh, into these fly, fly clubs, these lounges. 
And the one yesterday up in Seattle, we could take a shower. We actually had food, all the food we wanted to eat. I mean, it was just, it's very nice if you ever have to travel someplace like that. And that's one of the perks of going with Drew. But not everybody usually can get in with him. Then there's Pastor Roberto Aguayo. He is the pastor of Calvary Chapel Mirada down in the Yucatan Peninsula, close to Cancun. His wife is Damaris, Dr. Damaris Aguayo. And she is the doctor. Her husband, Roberto, acted as the pharmacist. And so that was the first for them being together as a married couple on a trip. And, you know, they they did pretty good. Usually the married couples on a trip, they don't, it's usually not so good because the husband is always concerned about the wife. And if the husband doesn't pay attention to the wife, then the wife can get a little offended. Like, you're not paying attention to me, you know. And, and, And so sometimes it's not so good that a husband and wife team to go together. But they did great. And then there's Rachel Rubello. And she is 22 years old. She's going to San Diego State University. She is uh, going to be studying to be a doctor, an international missions doctor. And so this is perfect for her. She sat down as a doctor. She's had some training. And she was also prescribing some meds for the people. Then there is um, Wani, spelled V-A-N-N-Y, but it's pronounced Wani. Uh, Fal is her last name. She is a pharmacist from Cambodia. She is a pharmacist that sets us up when we go to Cambodia. She also acted as a physician. Usually the pharmacist knows better how the meds react and interact with one another than the doctors do. The doctors usually don't like the pharmacist because the doctor will prescribe something and the pharmacist says, no, that doesn't work. And so she knows all about that. And then there was myself. I was in charge of the glasses and sunglasses. We gave away all the sunglasses. I could have used more. Uh, We were running out of certain magnifications of the reading glasses and uh, hundreds and hundreds of people just poured through. And how it worked was... We connected with the pastors, the local pastors in Uganda that spoke the languages. And by the way, the languages in Uganda are as many as the tribes in Uganda. And there's minimum 60 different tribes all through Uganda. When we went to the church service uh, that was there, there were two interpreters, three languages spoken in the one church service that we went to. And John, you do have that video, right? The video that we can play. You want to get that ready and I'm going to have you... I'll bring that up in a minute, how they worship. But anyhow, we would bring the people in and the pastors would hand out numbers to the people that are there. And it would be one to a hundred. And they would crowd almost over each other to try to get a number because we can only serve so many people in a day. And so they would get those numbers. And then once they got the number, they could go to triage. Triage is where you take your blood pressure, your heart rate. Uh, you get the information, the stats. What is it that's your problem? Do you have a headache? Do you have body aches? Do you have stomach aches? Do you have open wounds? I mean, what's the problem? And once they are triaged, then they go to the gospel station where they get the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, to, because these people, quite frankly, they have no hope for this life. There is only hope for the next life. And most of the world lives like these people do. And so it's nice to be able to reach out to them. So they get the gospel. Once they get the gospel, they get to choose. They have a pink card for like pink eye and a green card for like green nose. That's how we remember it. And yellow card, but we didn't do yellow card this time for yellow teeth. And so whatever card they're wearing is the station that they go to. And I got the pink eye. I got the people coming in for the glasses. And, of course, the meds went to the doctors. So the local pastors are ministering to the people, getting to know the people in the areas where they minister to. They go to the gospel station. And before they go to the uh, areas of concern, whether it's the meds or it's the glasses, they go to what's known as the queue. They just kind of hang out there. And you'll see, like Pastor Drew or myself, we would play the guitar and entertain them if we had a break. And sometimes you'd play, and this one woman, I got under a tree, and this is the day they had 400 people, and I started playing underneath the tree, and this woman comes up. She starts screaming, and she's dancing back and forth, and everybody's smiling. I'm just playing, you know, a couple of songs, and she's just going wild. And John, you have that ready to go? This is a church service we went to on Sunday where Drew preached, and this is their worship.
so that goes on for probably, I want to say 10 minutes, just that one song. Then they switch to another song. I have another video of a slower song that they do, but they are into worship. And I don't know if you saw it, but there's a little drum. They had a little drum over there and there's one woman is just banging on the drum and the woman that was screaming out like that, sometimes they would do it where she would sing something and then everybody else would respond and they'd do that about 50 times and they're clapping the whole time and they're just rocking back and forth. This is a little tiny church, you know, but that's how they worship a lot over there. I don't know about the other church. We had two churches we went to at that time uh, and I was with Drew at this one and You know, it was just great. The number of people, as you read on the uh, video, 1,400 people approximately were seen. And that one day in Cobwind, there were 400 that, (coughs) excuse me, came there. And, (coughs) excuse me, it is our job not to seal the deal, so to speak. Not to, how many converts can we get to Christ that will trust in Christ for their salvation? Our job is just sow the seed. And some people put their faith in how many numbers you can get to come forward and that's not what we're about our responsibility is only to sow the seed and they're given the opportunity to accept christ and repent of their sins and we had over 200 that did so and so that's the goal that's the reason we take the medication that's the reason we minister to the people give them eyeglasses and it's all good now with the eyeglasses you know i I see a lot uh, a lot of problems you know what i'm going to show you how i do it Let me bring this up here. And Eric, are you in here? Eric's out. Okay, what I do is I set the people down and I let them know the sun is not our friend. It is good for the plants, but it's not good for your eyes. The sun can give you eye diseases. Eye diseases like this. Oop, went away. Hold on. Eye diseases like this. And I point out, and you may not know this, But this is called pterygium right here. Pterygium is actually the sun. It's like it damages the eye and it causes scar tissue to grow inside the eyes and also on the outside, outside the irises. And the more you expose your eye to the sun, the more the scar tissue grows to where it can cover the pupil. Once it covers the pupil, you become blind. Do you see that one man who was blind up there? He had glaucoma. And he also had pterygium. And it completely covered his eyes, made him completely blind. And they come to me and they think, I'm going to see. And I have to tell them, you're not going to see. Another disease I tell them that they can get from the sun is called cataract. Now, I don't know if you can see that, but the inside of the pupil, it's white. It's the same thing as you take an egg, you open it up, it's crystal clear, you put it in a frying pan, it turns white. That's what the sun does to the inside of the eye. Both of these can be corrected by surgery, but you have to have a doctor cut on your eye and replace the part that's in there. And I would turn to them and say, do you want a doctor cutting on your eye? And they go, no. And I said, that's why you want to wear the sunglasses. And I tell them, you wear the sunglasses every single day. Whenever you're outside, and I say, there's only three times that you do not wear sunglasses. One, you're sleeping. Two, you're indoors. Three, I can't remember what the third one was. But then I told them there were four things that you had to keep in mind, like water. You have to drink enough water. And I talked to the doctor about this because I had a lot of people coming in that said, I see double. Or I look at something for a while and it kind of goes dark. And the doctor told me it's probably water. They're not getting enough water. And so I had asked the people, how much water are you getting? And I mean, it gets hot there in the summertime. And they would say, oh, today I didn't have any water. Oh, I said, well, how much water did you have? Oh, a cup And every once in a while, I'd get somebody that'd say, I drink a liter a day, and their face would be full, it'd be all nice. And your body acts in such a way that it'll take away water if if it's needed in a vital organ, it'll take it from your eyes. And so they're complaining, my eyes hurt, they're so sore. And so I'd have to instruct them about the water. I'd give them the eyeglasses and tell them, unless you want to go blind, you want to wear your sunglasses outside. And so I would go through that type of spiel, and then I would test them for the eyeglasses. And you could always tell, and I've mentioned this before, when you give them the eyeglasses, you can immediately tell if it's working. Because you give them, I gave them my plane ticket. I said, is that clear? And they'd look at it, and you'd see the smile just Oh, it's like, what? you know, it opens up, they can see, and they're so happy, and they, they get these glasses and the pouches, 
the pouches, you know, oh, we ran out of pouches too. They'd come back, do you have any more pouches? No, I'm sorry, we don't have more pouches. And they would use those to rub them, you know, and keep them inside to clean them. And so they were completely blessed by the glasses. And pretty soon, usually by the afternoon, they're all coming in, they want sunglasses because they all look good. You know, they the sunglasses on and, and they're walking around with those. And, so, and we ran out of sunglasses. We took 500 sunglasses over there. And, and so that's what we did. Now, <clears throat> why do we do that? Why do we go and give the gospel? We want to be obedient Christians according to the scripture. And Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says, How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so we're charged, all believers are charged with bringing the good news to others, right? Also in Matthew chapter 28, we know what that says about going into all the world and making disciples and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so that is our task, to be obedient, to carry this message to the entire world. And remember in the book of Acts it says, to Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth, or Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And so we are not supposed to be isolated just in our city. We're supposed to go out to the uttermost parts of the earth, the Lord provided the ways and means for us to do that. And that brings me to the next thing. What does it cost? It's thousands of dollars for any individual to go. Whether you pay it yourself or the church helps in assisting with that. There were some uh, uh, costs that were incurred by the church and costs that were incurred by me. Just to get the shots, for instance, that I got, it was $500 just to get the shots uh, to go over there. And there's a couple I still didn't get. And I have to go back for a follow-up on hep- <coughs> hepatitis a, I think is what I got. And so once you get the yellow fever shot and you go over there, so you know, and you have a plane ticket, and it's thousands of dollars. Now, should we be spending money like that? That's what the church is for. We're supposed to minister to people, bring the gospel, do the work that God has called us to do. So that is the cost. And by the way, if you contribute to the ministry here, you get the reward. Now, the reward, and I've talked about this before when you go on missions trips. First Samuel chapter 30, it talks about David. And David would go out in these raiding parties, and once when he went out, the Amalekites came in and they attacked Ziklag and Negev. And they took David's wives and all their possessions and all these men, and these men were just about ready to kill David. So David took about 600 of his own men to pursue these guys, the Amalekites, and get all their stuff back and their wives back. And when they pursued him, 200 of the men became tired along the way. They were exhausted. They couldn't continue. So 400 went. They captured these guys, killed them, got all their stuff, brought everything back. And the evil men inside the group said, these people, the 200 that didn't go with us, don't get to contribute in receiving the, or they, they don't get to uh, receive part of the reward, the, uh, uh, the bounty that has been taken back from these guys. And David said, we will not do this evil thing. We will distribute what we got back with these men who took care of the stuff that we have here. And so if you guys contribute to the giving in this ministry, you get the same reward in heaven that we do. According to what you give, that's what you get paid back. And that's what it's all about, is storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven and not treasures in earth. Now, personal observation, the dress over there, almost every woman had a dress or a skirt. Seldom, except in Kampala, Kampala has one to two million people in the city, three to four million in the uh, outside. It's a huge city, it's very poor, but uh, they had dresses on. And you saw some of the dresses. And some of those, we'd be going in the poorest part of some village and you'd see this woman with the red hair covering sequin i mean you go you would see that in las vegas and she's wearing this thing and the dress you're going man that is it looks like an expensive dress and that's their normal everyday dress is what you'd see the uh, respect was huge they would in uh, the compound in Cobwin, they would come up to me, especially the younger guys, and they'd go, Uncle! I was Uncle there. And all the men are called Uncle, all the women are called Auntie. There's Auntie Sarah. And then the other times, you know, there was one or two times where the people would actually bow down. And we're going, no, don't do it. I'm a servant just like you. You know, don't, don't be bowing down, that kind of thing. 
but uh, the respect was really big and some unusual things. Like, for instance, I looked at a guy's eyes, an older gentleman, and next to him was sitting this woman, and she purposely picked up her chair and moved it away. And I go, no, come back over here. And she goes, no, no, no. And then the interpreter told me, look, that's his daughter-in-law, and out of respect, she's supposed to sit away from him. And that's, and I'm going, well, that's kind of odd, you know. And so there's this whole respect thing that goes on. And they respect the outsiders as long as you respect them. It's good. They have this personal greeting, a special handshake. You have to learn it. Everybody does it. And then it's a, it's a handshake where it goes in like this, and you cup it like that, and you go back. And sometimes you're doing it three or four times like that. And, oh, brother, it's good to see you, you know. And then, then you hit the shoulder. You hit this shoulder, and you go hit that shoulder. And it's like, and then they hug you. And they don't just hug you. They hug you. And you go, okay, yeah, it's good, bro. Oh, I love you, brother. Yeah, it's all good. And you're being held in there for a while, and they're real friendly. They're real close. Uh, It's wonderful how close they are. They're more concerned about relationship than getting it done. You know, here we are. Let's get it done. Come on, we don't have time for this. They're just the opposite. Like we were supposed to meet one of the pastors at 8 o'clock in the morning. He didn't get there till 10. Oh, yeah, but just, you know, they're kind of on, it's like Hawaii time, you know. They're they're just kind of laid back. And the land there, just beautiful i mean they have everything from snow-capped mountains to tropical rainforest to the deserts uh it they have more than what we have here in the united states as far as the different climates that are over there uh bird species there's more bird species in that country than in any other country on the face of the earth we're driving along down the road and i look over and there comes a toucan you know what a toucan is, right? Big, long-nosed bird. I was expecting him to bring some Fruit Loops with him, and he did. And he was just flying alongside of the truck, and I go, wow, look at it. And you'd wake up in the morning, and you'd hear 50 different kinds of birds. You know, you just, wow, all those birds. And in the night, the monkeys would come. You know, they're screaming back and forth and carrying on a conversation. And so the place is just full of wildlife. Towards the south, it's a little more wealthy. And when I talk wealthy, that is relative. When you get to the north, the huts, you saw some of the huts. The huts start out as brick covered in plaster or cement. The top white huts that you saw, that was Pastor David's house on the compound there. His family lived inside of there. That's a nice one. Then you go to the next one, it's just brick. And brick that they make with the soil that's on the site there, they pack the brick up and they fire that stuff up and it it kiln dries the brick and they build their round or square home and then they put grass reeds on top and that's what they live in. There's no water, there's no electricity, there's nothing inside of those. And it went from brick to mud, a mud hut where they actually take the mud and they make bricks out of it and they set those up and it went from mud to sticks. They had sticks on the outside with the thatch roof, and it's kind of open air. And it went from that, sticks, to a hole in the ground covered with sticks. And that's where they live, is in the dirt. That one uh, David that you saw that, that was the interpreter, I asked him, I said, how is it that you have this nice shirt, nice pants, nice shoes, and everyone around you is just as poor as can be? And he said, well, he was going to school and the school program shut down. And once that school program shut down, he lost uh, the ability to get a certificate and get another job. But sometimes people come and hire him because he speaks English as well. And so sometimes he gets money and he goes, and this is my only shirt that he possesses. You know, and you think, wow, we have it so good. Uh, These open air markets. You see slabs of cow hanging. You saw the guy outside the van that was carrying two goat legs that that just slaughtered that morning. You saw the turkey that we ate that was on the compound there. They just slit its throat and plucked it all, and that was our lunch before we left. And it was great. It was, you know, it was good turkey. And if if we go to some place like that and you see that, and you go, they have nothing. They have absolutely nothing. James 2.15 says, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In other words, if we see something like that, we're supposed to do what we can. Now, how big is the problem? It's bigger than any of us. We could get all the churches in San Diego to go, and it wouldn't solve the problem. There's corruption in the country. Everything is owned by the government. There's no incentive to do that which is best. Uh, I'm going to, two more things I have to do here. I know I'm going to run out of time, which is typical. But the personal comfort, if you say, you know, I, I really think I'd like to do that. I'd like to go over to Africa 
And I would like to experience that. I've already had somebody contact me from Facebook say, I want to talk to you about Africa when you get back in the States. So I'm going to meet with that individual. But first thing you sacrifice is your rest. Uh, And that's a test. How do you act when you're not getting enough sleep? You're a little testy, right? And so 50, 52 hours with only two hours of sleep, and then you, that's where the self-control comes in, especially when you're interacting with others on the team. You know, and this team that went, probably the best team, not to say anything against the other teams, but probably the best team, because everybody that went, Drew asked everyone that has been before and knows their stations, and it, was, it went off without a hitch. There were no problems. The biggest problem we had was a flat tire. But the relationship-wise, there were no problems. Another thing you have to deal with is sickness. I had one day, I'm driving in the van, and I'm going, that doesn't feel right. You know, oh, this is not good. We're five hours away somewhere, you know. And, and then, uh, so I took some Cipro. By the way, Cipro is a miracle drug. It just clears up any problems you have in your stomach. I took one of those, and it's just a matter of few minutes, an hour or so, and I'm going, okay, I feel better, you know, and so I had a little bout there, and then there was Rachel, and she was down for a day, vomiting and diarrhea, you know, it just wasn't good, and then um, Damaris, she had an issue where she was feeling nauseous, and she got out of the car, the thing that cured her is we took her shopping, she came back, my color's back, I have bags and stuff, she was just fine, you know, so there is this sickness, last trip in Cambodia, I was down for two days, and until I got the Cipro, you know, I, I just wasn't getting any better, creature comforts, if you don't, if you can't handle backpacking, you can't handle a trip like this. I mean, backpacking is freezing cold water. This was just enough to <laughs> cause you to lose your breath when you poured over your head. And uh, maybe you'll get a shower. There was no air conditioning. One hotel had no fans. Bugs are a way of life. Hey, how you doing? And they respond. You know, they're so big that are over there. <laughs> and, and so that's, that's just part of the life. We got up one morning and I see uh, Roberto. He's out there. He's going like this. I go, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm getting the spider outside. This big spider that's, it's crawling. And he was in the shoes. You know, the shoes are inside. And he was putting on his shoes and it crawls out of the shoes and it starts going everywhere. And so we're just ushering the spider outside. I never thought I would be so happy to have cobwebs all over my room. Because up in Cotito, insects, you know, they have the nets. You saw the bed with the net over the top. Every bed that we had had a net. I took a net too, just in case. But those cobwebs around the opening they stop the mosquitoes and so you don't clean the spiders out of there you let the spiders stay there my friend the spider you know he'd be up in there and and so that's all good and bugs did i mention bugs the, the bugs are i mean just they're everywhere they're everywhere and you never thought you'd be so afraid of a little teeny mosquito right roberto he said he was sleeping one night and i had this too i had an earplug in and i was sleeping earplugs and i could hear this Right next to my ear, you know, you try, you turn your light on, where are you? I'm going to get you, you know, and you don't get him. And Roberto, one night he was sleeping and he couldn't find it. And so he slept the whole night with the blanket over his head inside of the tent of the mosquito net. You know, so these types of things, because if you get bit, you know, you can get malaria. Pastor Drew has had malaria. And once you get malaria, it's with you. It doesn't really go away and it can have a resurgence. It smells. Oh, it smells. The smells are everywhere and you cannot describe the smells properly but it could be anything from trash burning to the meals that you get like we had goat some of those were goat we had goat and rice and a thing that looks like a tortilla Uh, the thing that looked like a banana was actually potatoes crushed up uh, squeezed to look like a banana and peanut sauce and it's actually really good the vegetables like spinach and a peanut sauce it was actually good. You know, I'm going, I don't know about this. And you taste it and go, ha, huh, not too bad. You know, it's pretty good. But uh, the smells that you experience, the biggest smell was the people. The people don't bathe. And there was one older man that uh, I was working on. And I got so close to him, I just, I thought I was going to start, you know, choking and uh, and you look at them, and they are just crusted in dirt and sweat, and they don't bathe because there's no water 
up there. And even the ones that are dressed nice, not everybody, you know, but even some that are dressed really nice, you know, there's, there's an odor that follows them. I don't know if you've traveled very much. Uh, Patty and I were traveling once, and we got to, I think it was L.A., and there was that one guy on the line, and he was 10 people in front of us. And I'm just going, what is that smell? And, and I, I covered my mouth, and I'm trying to breathe somewhere. And this is in line, you know, for customs, going through customs, and it's person after person. And it was, it make your eyes tear. It was so bad. And, and some of the people there, that's the way they are. And you have to embrace them, so to speak. Not everybody, but uh, talking about an offense to the nasal cavity, you have that over there, and it is strong. Now, you do have that also in Cambodia, but in Africa, it was a little more strong just because they don't have the water to bathe. They don't have the genuine skills. And you look at some of their hands encrusted with dirt, and they have this other thing that they do too. They take uh, tobacco with salt. And because they will sneeze, they take the tobacco with salt and, they, uh, salt and they use it like snuff. And they put it up the nose and they suck it up their nose and it's all around their nose. And it, I mean, it's just, and they wonder why they have lung problems, you know. Uh, the, the women that are over there, they will carry everything on their heads. Those, those buckets, the 20 liter buckets that hold the water, they will put those on their head. And they will walk around, they come to the doctor and go, Doctor, my neck hurts and my back hurts and I just got these pains everywhere. And they, they just don't know. And the way that they work, this is how they work. They work like this all the time where the legs are completely straight and they're bent over and they come in and say, I have back problems. And, you know, so some of the stuff is easily preventable, like the eye disease. A lot of it is completely preventable. And uh, sleeplessness, flying, the airports, the enemy... Uh, all these things are an issue. And so what we told them, and this is the core of what we're doing over there. We, we establish connections, obviously, but we give the gospel. And like Pastor Drew, when we went to the church, now you don't really give the gospel in the church, right? You go up to the church and there are Christians in the church. Do you guys know how many times the word Christian or Christians is used in Scripture? Three times. Do you know how many times the word disciple or disciples is used? 243 times. We call ourselves Christians, which connotes or suggests it is somebody who has asked Christ to save them from their sins. But a disciple is really what the people were in the New Testament. They were just called Christians because they followed Christ as a disciple. We have taken Christians... And it's, in our country mostly, it's the feel-good message. How can I improve myself? How can I do better? How can I make things easy in my life? And that's a lot of what topical sermons are about. Now, I'm partial to this. Not that topical sermons aren't good. I'm doing a topical message right now. But we want to make sure we're going through the Word. And if you go through the Word and you're diligent in that, you make disciples. Now, the question is, is a Christian a disciple or is a disciple a Christian? Well, part of being a Christian is, and by the way, that uh, reference, scriptural reference, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. That's in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. But if somebody says they're a Christian, they obviously have said the prayer. Uh, but what connotes being a disciple? It's one who follows Christ. Now, how many Christians in a church do you think actually follow Christ as opposed to those who say, I have confessed Christ? How many are hardcore disciples? It's like, you know somebody who is a disciple of track and field. Why do you know that? They carry around a javelin. They have track shoes on. They have running shorts. They're running every day. They're following after track and field. For those people who are believers, that are disciples, they have their Bible. Their Bible is marked. They have notes. They go to Bible study. They participate in church. They would rather go to church than miss church or go to study than miss study. And so Jesus says, for the disciple, 
In Matthew chapter 4, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon Peter, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James and John, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, I should say. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boats and their father, and followed him. So a disciple is one who is a follower, an adherent, a believer, an admirer, a devotee, an acolyte. Those types of things characterize a disciple. A disciple is one who has repented. Now that's key. A disciple is one who is a true believer. Somebody who calls themselves a Christian is not necessarily a true believer. And this is a message that we brought inside the churches there. Somebody who is a disciple... Again, as I told you, they are diligent, but they have repented. And what is repentance? This is the key. Repentance is three things. It is a change of mind, it is a change of heart, and it is a change of action. The things that you do, right? The first thing is a change of mind. In every culture that we come across, in every city that we go to, in every family that you know, there are standards of what right and wrong is. Those standards do not always measure up with what the Bible says. When the Bible says, this is wrong, for instance, we have the Ten Commandments, right? Do uh, honor your mother and father. If you don't, you're committing a sin. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? We find our fulfillment in that in Jesus Christ. Do not steal, do not murder, do not lie, do not covet, all of those things. If we do those things, we're committing sin. But if somebody says, it's okay to steal, their view of what is right and wrong is different than the Bible. So our change of mind has to be, Whatever the Bible says, that's what I'm going to do. Like living together. You know, if you're living together, that's a sin. Bible calls it a sin. There's consequences for that. Uh, It says the adulterer will not inherit the kingdom of God. That type of thing. And so we want to make sure that our mind is changed. That's the number one thing that happens in repentance. The number two thing is a change of heart. You have to be able to come to the point where you shed tears over your own sin where you see how wicked your sin is because of what the Bible calls sin and you say, God, I am so sorry I have sinned. God will not despise a broken and contrite heart. If we ever commit a sin, we should be able to come to the point where the wickedness is so revealed to us that we just we break down before God. And God says, blessed are those who mourn, not blessed are those who are rejoicing and happy and partying and feeling better about themselves and lifting themselves up. God says, no, just the opposite is true. So it's a change of mind. It's a change of heart. That heart changes There's one particular scripture. It says, even if I cause you sorrow in my letter, I do not regret it. This is from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. Though I did not regret it, I see that my letter has hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret but worldly sorrow brings death the people of the world will have sorrow but they have sorrow that they got caught and judged for their sin and so and it's not my opinion what sin is if i had my opinions of what sin was if what i said was true there would be a lot more things that i could do right but god says No, don't. But on the other hand, I have freedom in Christ. I can do anything. You know, and to understand that, that's a whole nother Bible study. But the point is, change of mind, change of heart, and then the third one is change of direction or change of action. It says in Acts chapter 26, verse 20, First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also I preach that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. In other words, if we don't have deeds, we haven't repented. That is what makes somebody a disciple. That is what makes somebody a Christian. If somebody says there's a, they're a Christian, they haven't had a change of mind, they haven't had a change of heart where they're sorry for their sin, and they haven't had a change in action or direction, I would say that person is not saved. Now, at this particular point, you might say, well, I don't have one of those. So what would be my response? 
you need to repent. You know, and, and that's a hard message because we don't like that. We like to think of ourselves more highly. We like to think of ourselves as we're up here. And so if you feel, you know, I haven't had a change of mind. What God calls sin, I don't call sin. Or maybe I've never been sorry for my sin. Never, I've, maybe I've never spent time crying out to God and being so sorry that he ministers to my broken heart. Maybe my heart has become hard and I don't want to do it. I pray that God would soften your heart. And if there's no action, if you actually are not showing your repentance by your deeds, and people get that mixed up. They think you need to have action to get saved. That's not it. It'll be a natural outflow of your belief in Christ. And so there needs to be a change in action. Those three things. If you've done those three things, you have repented and you are a believer. If you haven't and you call yourself a Christian, we should all doubt if we are believers, if we are in fact saved. So my prayer for you is that you are able to turn to God and say, God, make repentance real in my life. Change of mind, change of heart, change of action. That is my prayer for you. Once you do that, you go back to God, and you want to do that, you go back to God and you say, God, forgive me. Make repentance real in my life. Forgive me of my sins. Let's pray. Father, we want to lift you up. We thank you for the glory that has been revealed to us. We ask that you would help us to not only make an ascent emotionally in following you, but intellectually. That we take your word, we apply it, we do not turn away. For God, we know your judgments. Those who don't accept your way are destined for destruction after this life. And Father, you are unwilling that any should perish. And so we know if we ask you to forgive us of our sins, you will work it out in our lives. We'll trust you for that. We thank you for the ability to bring this message to others in other countries. We ask that you would show us how we can clearly help those in Africa, specifically Uganda, again in the future. May you prepare us for what lies ahead. Use us, Lord, in a fantastic way. More than we can ask or think, we pray that you would just open the doors for ministry. In Jesus' name, and the church said...